G'day, everyone. Welcome back to the Talking Leadership Podcast. This is Eric Perez, your podcast host. Thank you again for joining us. So by way of introduction, my guest brings an extensive background in leadership. His current roles include the Vice President, Executive Consultant with the Leadership Pipeline Institute. He is also a director with Arthingworth Consulting Proprietary Limited and also brings many decades of experience in the HR field. Can I welcome to the podcast, Alan Muntz. How are you, Alan? Um, well, Eric, thank you for having me. Today is particularly focused on yourself, Alan. So how about we start from the the logical starting point, which is your leadership and its beginnings, mate. Um, over to you. You had me reflecting reflecting a little, little Eric, on that. And I guess when I think back on it, it, it's a case of it's sort of come over the years. And in fact, I did something with, with the, the Best Practice Network. I think it was early this year or last year, and we, we did some a webinar essentially sharing sort of leadership thoughts, et cetera. And when I reflect back on it, I, you know, I come from, I guess, leadership in, in my world. And, and so, so when I re- reflect back, where did, where, where did I start in leadership roles? And if I, if I look at that, it was sporting type environments, community environments, and then corporates. So for me, I guess the motivation was always wanting to make a contribution from an early age. It was me and my mother and my, my father died when I was young, but I saw my mother being involved in her, her church and community. She was a district nurse. So, and, and with people around me, I guess I saw people being involved in things, not just sitting back and letting others do. So for me, I guess it's come from an understanding or a desire to make, make some form of contribution and, and then you know, trying to take something forward and, and improve it. So my, my first leadership roles, I guess, was uh, captaining the the first 11 hockey team at school and, and other sort of rep teams, you know, involvement in the community when our children were young through through kindergartens and PNCs, that sort of stuff. And then in, in the corporate world, once once I started my career in, in human resources, as as I as that career developed, I, I ended up managing you know, initially teams of myself and one other to to managing corporate HR teams. For instance, I was the, the HR director with, with Blue Care for a few years, so managing the corporate HR function. So that's an organisation part of United Care, you know, and that's an organisation of 10,000 people, 250 sites. And our corporate HR team was, was fairly diverse. So it was, it was leading teams like that in, in the organisation. And it's not just leading the HR team, it's you know, being, an, being an effective member of the executive teams and making a contribution being hopefully a, a thought leader for your function and taking the organisation forward. So, you know, if I look back on it, that, that's my path to leadership in some ways and where I've learned a lot of, le- a lot of lessons. And I remember reading the Simon Sinek book and, and you know, the first start with why. And if, if I sum it up, my, my why is, is trying to help, help people, be it CEOs, business leaders or individuals, make more positive futures for themselves and others. So from a, from a leadership perspective, I guess that's where I come from. If I see an opportunity or a, or a, or a need or is help help take that forward and achieve that. Thanks for that, Alan. And in, in some ways you've helped define in some senses your view of leadership. And I'm definitely going to ask you how do you define leadership and you've given me a glimpse into that. I guess where I can nuance the next question and just sort of digging a bit, a little bit deeper if we can is that you're at a point in your career trajectory and, and uh, I'll make your LinkedIn profile available for those that are listening so they can see some of the things that you've done and, and you know, no profile is going to encapsulate everything about you, but you would have met a lot of leaders in your time. To what degree do you think the people you have met shaped your thinking around leadership? Uh, interesting. I haven't really 
hadn't really sort of given that one one much thought. But when we were doing the Best Practice Network podcast, you know, we started with the premise of who 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 are leaders you respect or what does good leadership look like and, and looking at people you respect. And if you recall those conversations around that question, a number of number of uh, us on the call were saying, well, perhaps we looked at those that we didn't think were, were great. And for me, it, it's a combination. And you know, I look back on the people I respect and and felt supported by and I don't know if it's it if I've tried to model what what they've done but but I guess it's 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 about for me for those, those looking at those people it's about it wasn't about themselves it was about you know taking the organization or the part of the organization or whatever they they were were leading forward and you know I was about to say that the people they were in charge of I'm not an absolute Simon Sinek devotee but but one of the ways I think it was him was was, was another another sort of writer in the space was saying, you know, the people you're in charge of, or it's the people in your charge. So the people you're looking after in a lot of ways. That's an interesting one. I like that. I'm always keen to sort of dig a little deeper. And I've met a lot of good leaders. I've met a lot of mediocre and I've met just as many bad. And I think I've learned something from all of them now. Some stay with you more than others. So I can easily recall the best leader or leaders that I've ever met. And I learned a lot from these individuals. But I also equally remember the very worst that I've had and sort of what not to do. And I think for me that a school of hard knocks and living life and being in a role is in some senses the only way you're going to learn what that looks like and smells like and feels like. Define leadership for me from your perspective. And, and look, I'll go back to what I said before, and you know, it's quite intuitive of you that, that where I was heading was, I guess, an introduction to my definition of leadership. And so before we got on the call, I, I just spent a little bit of time. And, and I think for me, it's just in reflecting on my my experience or my path to leadership was, was one of your notes that you provided earlier was was for me it's seeing a need or an opportunity and trying to fulfill that or achieve that with others so you know I, I recall a working in a small organization it was between my time with company United Brews before I went into not-for-profit health I worked for a with with a little entrepreneurial business it was a bit more than a startup it was doing contracting civil contracting work and it was led by two entrepreneur entrepreneurial types and I still remember standing in, in one of their offices overlooking our shed where we had tractors and equipment. And I said, guys, if you don't really love that down there, you know, you need to let someone else take it and drive it. Because these guys were entrepreneurs that were then looking for the next opportunity, how they could diversify the business or or what was the next business that they could go into. So I, I think, you know, from a leadership perspective, you really do have to have a, a clear and, and you know, passion is one of there's a number of, of overused words in, in in my view, like pivot and authenticity to me are things that have become very much overused and, and passion's probably another one, but you've really got to have a love and a desire for the thing you're about to and, and an understanding and a, and an engagement with it that you want to take it forward and you want to drive that I'll use the word you want to drive that that passion into your team from a leadership perspective it's about you know having seeing that opportunity or seeing that need and really trying to to be be quite persistent in in, in achieving it but from a, you can, you can do that as an individual for in, you know around individual topics but to 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 do it to do it collectively is much more engaging much more fulfilling and it's about you know, leadership to me is about then driving that thing forward with others. And, and there are different aspects to leadership, like you know, there's political leadership, there's community leadership, there's thought leadership. And I think it, it, it's about, you know, if you think just about you know, 
thought leadership. So in a corporate sense, if you are the marketing person or the HR person or the finance person, you're there to drive that agenda. You're there to drive the, that functional agenda in the organisation so that the organisation organization can ch- achieve its goals. So you know, for where I've come from in, within HR, it's about driving the thinking and the behaviours around how we, how we lead and manage people and, and engage people so that we create the, the outcome. So it doesn't matter what the organisation's there for, you know, we're going to achieve it through our people. So my role as a, as a senior HR, HR practitioner and, and in, in a number of my roles sitting on the executive team, being a member of that executive team, not just being the HR guy, but, but also I'm an opinionated little prick. So you know, I will comment on or make contributions into other areas. I won't just stick, stick to, to HR. But you know, our role then is to, to try and engender an understanding, a new set of thinking, and and really a, a new set of behaviours around the things that will engage our people and, and help take the organisation forward. So you know, there's a thought leadership piece as well, not not just a, a not just leading people, but it's a thought thought leadership around trying to drive those things and change behaviours in organisations so they are more effective. That's a bit of a waffle, sorry. No, 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 mate. And it, it it's driving more and more into my, uh, the grey matter that I've got, that this is complicated, it's nuanced, and it's multi-layered. You make a choice to be a leader, so you then make choices to contribute and to have your ideas tested and investigated and taken apart in some senses. And I think that builds character in you because, one, if you agree with what's being said, great, you've, you've hit the nail on the head. But if someone doesn't and they take it apart constructively, and I mean being constructive, obviously, it'll help you to learn. Unfortunately, and maybe I'll get your thoughts on this because I, I wanted to go with this question for a little while and I've been thinking about this, obviously, when I'm talking to people that do you think probably better way to put this, have you encountered leaders without naming them, obviously, that you find are resistant to having their thought processes unpacked? And how have you dealt with that? Look, only rarely. I've been fortunate in a number of the organisations I've been in where I've had, especially when I've had those those senior senior leadership roles um, leading the HR function, I've, I've been fortunate to be in a position where I, I hope, I think and I hope there's been mutual respect with the CEO and other colleagues and myself. So so we've been able to have those more more in, introspective or more challenging discussions. There, there have been times where you know there's been a couple of leaders where where that hasn't occurred. You know, you, you're going to ask me a, a, a question a little later about um, emerging leadership issues. And for me, you know, so with LPI, the leadership pipeline, you know, from a cor- in a corporate sense, it's one of the best leadership models I've I've seen, and it actually generates change in in, in organisations if they if they take it on significant. What's missing in that model for me is the things around that self-awareness. You know, the, the, the simple things around emotional intelligence and that you know, key some of the key competencies around emotional intelligence in, in, a, in, a, in a workplace sense and, and in a, a general sense is self-awareness and self-regulation. If you go and look at Mr. Goldman's five or so um, competencies that, that have a significant work impact, self self self-awareness and self-regulation and that that is about being open to understand how you're impacting your environment how you're affecting the emotions of others and taking that on board and i think that that for the future where i where i've come from we haven't focused on on those competencies enough in my view and i think as we we see generational change and we see you know, societal change i think the the need for things around that self-awareness self-regulation the impact 
you have on others, etc. Being able to handle your emotions uh, and being attuned to the emotions of others is is a thing that we we need to um to spend time on. I'm, I'm doing a little project with an organisation at the moment. We're looking at their their supervisory group and def- first defining the role and and it was. Just the other day, I ran a series of interviews, sort of more senior guys and, and guys closer to the to the ground. And I was impressed by one of them, one of the guys closer to the ground. He said, "You've got to be attuned to your team. You've got to be you've got to be able to read them. You've got to be able to support them when when they're having issues." And so there's there's a greater awareness, I think, in 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 some individuals that that you really do need to be aware and support individual well being as part of your leadership, so you can take take your teams and groups forward. Before we go on to the next topic, just one thing to say about that. I didn't give this much thought until we did the the podcast through the Best Practice Network. And in one of the sessions, this came up, but I started thinking about not just from the leader perspective, but from those that we lead, how often are we what we're doing and whether or not we are effective at what we do? When do we get the feedback from those that we lead? So the views of the lead is often not a topic area of much engagement. Because at some point, those that we lead want to have a step up and do what, what we do or do it better or do it somewhere else. And what, what are your thoughts there? Is that ever, is that ever crossed your mind, Alan, as, as a professional in this space? There's a whole topic here around followership. So what makes a good follower? Because not everyone wants to be a, a leader. You know, so there's, I guess, I've gone and dug around the leadership about followership, but the, yeah, very much there. You know, that's that's a whole other topic you could get into about what makes a good follower, et cetera, et cetera. The debate around, well, we've got generational change and these millennials or whatever the other other um, generations are now called, don't you know, dot commas, et cetera, et cetera. If you if you go back and you ask people what do they want out, what do they want out a job, what do they want out of an organization, et cetera. And millennials will say this this now, as as you know, go back and you know think about when you first um, entered the workforce. What do you want? You want to know what you've got to do. So you want to know where you what you've got to do in your job, what's the goal of it. You want to know how it relates to the overall organization. Because if you don't, you don't, you know, I can't remember where I heard it, you know, sort of I think it was a young Aboriginal science guy on the ABC News this morning. The purpose and something else, it was two Ps, but you know, one of the things you want is purpose. So you want to, want to be able to understand how your contribution feeds into the broader organisation. And then you want to know, well, is someone is someone looking out for me at work? And has someone got my development in in, in, um, in their mind? And how, how can I then develop? And, and a lot of the communications research will say, who do you want that person to be? Well, you want it to be your boss, generally. Right? And that really, if you go and ask the dot-commers, the millennials, and they will probably, and, and I've done this in a, in a, in a small group with um, one of the, the an, an, another networking group um, around manufacturing excellence. And we had a young guy from Arnott's there. And, um, and I said, so tell me, what do you want? How does how, do the, how does this list of things fit with with what you want out of your job? Said, yeah, that's essentially it. So even with the generational changes, people are still wanting those same things. They want to be, they know want to know how they're contributing, what they need to do, are they doing okay? Am I going to develop here, etc.? The only change is their desire is that that's going to happen quicker than it has for for, for others in in past generations. You know, so you know, I, I started my career. Gee, my first HR job was a a, a city council in um, in New Zealand, and I started that probably in the last months of uh, of seventy nine, just before I 
met my wife in the South Island um, in 1980. Wow, I was all of five years old then. <laughs> oh, yeah. wow, okay. Yeah. So, you know, um, so back then you, you, you wanted to see yourself progress, but the, the, the timeline of that now and your view on career has changed. You know, I was just, um, as I told you before, I was out playing golf this morning and, and chatting with a guy. You know, yeah, the difference between our generation, he's in his mid to late 50s, and, and this the younger generation are prepared to make those moves earlier. You know, they're prepared. If it's not working out here, I'll go somewhere else. From a followership perspective or from a, from a leader perspective, what are, what do your people want? It's that list of things and you just have to be aware that they probably want it now. And you've, you've probably got to, to find ways of, in some ways, either sating that desire or holding it off by keeping them engaged in other ways. So it might mean that you, what, you, know, you need to start talking to them about more horizontal career moves and vertical career moves. You need to start talking to them about, well, let's see if we can broaden your skill set by giving you opportunities and XYZ projects, et cetera. I don't think things have changed significantly in what people want, the, the, the cadence, the speed of what they want is nuanced with um, you know, societal changes as well. It's an excellent point that you bring up, the, the generational question. I guess the nuance for me and what, what makes this constantly interesting that when I use the term emerging leader, I don't put an age bracket there so you could be a professional in your late 50s or early 50s that suddenly gets the capacity to move up in a business or in an organization or in a not-for-profit whatever wherever you are to, to take on more leadership roles and suddenly you are in my definition an emerging or a, or a very new leader not an existing leader and so the generational stuff then adds another level of, of complexity to that discussion in my career some of the hardest roles to select for are those new entry roles so the hardest roles probably in selecting an, an apprentice not an adult apprentice but apprentices from you know sort of the, the post school years and things have changed since I've had to play in that space with within school programs and things and the reason for that is you don't have any life experience or other things to to, to actually benchmark against to to say has this has this person one got the potential or the desire you know so in in recruiting there's a simple little thing you're looking for can they do it will they do it do they fit right can do will do fit and well they can do it maybe will they do it that's the big question um and then then fit because they've got to learn and learn how to to interact in a workplace which is different to a to a, to a school or institution but on the other hand for someone that's been in the workforce for a while have they had a range of different experiences or if they had the same experience one day a 38 hour week is 1976 hours right annualized so have they had 1976 hours of experiencing the same thing over that year rather than having a, a, a difference when we've had success in recruiting or selecting younger people for roles the people that have generally if i reflect back on 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 a couple of a couple of people and both both young females both hr young, young female hr graduates but they were able to demonstrate some form of life experience, some form of, of broader thinking, and they they came in and, and, and were successful. But if I then think of, actually, I'm going back to a young lady we selected, you know, um, we put into a reception role in one, one of the not-for-profit health organisations. She came in with a great little resume, you know, done an HR degree, et cetera. She, she couldn't handle a, a reception role. You know? So it's that, but um, I also think about, Back in the mid '90s, with Cutney and I Brews, I transferred to to Matilda Bay in WA, and we were running some some workplace reform work. And still remember the guy's name. He was, he was great, 
great guy. Didn't end well, but he was a great guy. And there's a whole other story there about about values, etc. But um, I still remember he was part of the consultative committee through this this workplace reform activity. And he would say, well, if I was a foreman, I'd do exactly as the stuff I'd seen my previous foreman do, which was archaic leadership. So even you know, if you've got a degree of um, a degree of experience, that doesn't necessarily guarantee that you're going to go forward. With it. And again, you know. Just to harp back on the, the LPI stuff, um, it's it's about and and there's some other other work. Um, Hogarth and Carter, Hogarth, I think, or Hogarth and Carter did some work as well. Back they published it uh, a year or two ago, and it's called the mind of a the mind of a leader. It's very much about a mindset change. It's very much understanding that what you make what made you successful in the past isn't going necessarily going to make you successful in a leadership role. It's about understanding that you've got to do some different things and change your mindset and do some different things as a leader rather than a doer. Um, and it's putting time and effort into into valuing those leadership activities and skills. Whatever, there's lots of leadership models out there. It's but it's simply making that that shift in your thinking that this is a different role. So if you're a the operations, you know, the, the operations manager of a manufacturing organization, yes, you've got to be competent in your sort of production planning, your sales and ops planning. You need to know, you, know, you need to either know enough or have people that know enough about how the widgets get made. And you need an understanding of that sort of technical things. You know? So we need best practice network. We need to know about continuous improvement. But at the same time, you're leading it, you're leading a significant part of an organization which is made up of a lot of people. And so you've got to put time and effort into the things about leading those people. And that is not just the technical stuff. It is about the things I was talking about before. It's about understanding that people want development. It's about understanding that you've actually got to set set standards and manage performance because if you don't, other people get pissed off because someone's shirking. It's about having people that can delegate effectively and follow up and engage. You know, in one of in one of the, the training programs we run, we actually sort of have people say, right, think of think of the time you were most engaged in your work and think about what those things were. Now who has control of that? And the Gallup, the the Gallup um, research have, they come, they've come up with a number of 70%. They say your line manager has 70% of influence, 70% of the influence of the engagement of the individual. So if you're, your leaders and managers in your organisation, and we've got this, you know, is it leadership or is it management? The moment you're put into a management role where you've got people in your your charge and you have to get results through those people you've got to do some leadership stuff so so it's a moot point in a corporate context whether it's leadership or management from my point of view from my perspective but you then need to have people understand and value their leadership role and if you don't you're not going to succeed as an as a as a leader or a manager and your part of the organization is not going to succeed or it's not going to be as effective as it could be. And, you know, that's, again, Simon Sinek's talked about this concept of transition. The Hogarth and Carter work that came out a couple of years ago talks about needing to change the mindset, and that's an underpinning philosophy of um, the leadership pipeline um, model as well. If you think about it, so so if you think about your career, you know, if you'd just done the technical stuff in, in, a, in a management or a leadership role, would you have succeeded? When I've, I've done a number of presentations to different groups and I often, if I'm talking the leadership piece, I'll, I'll ask the question. So you know, think about the issues on, on, your, on your desk at the moment. Um, how many of them are people related? And you'll see the nods and people say, yeah, it's probably 50 or so percent. How many of them wouldn't be as big an issue if one of your managers had done their leadership work earlier and 
see the nods again. It's, you know, so it's about people understanding that that a good chunk of um, good chunk of their time and, and effort is is really about people. Um, it's about how you engage people, um, how you set the standards, how you go forward. The leadership pathway, the the progression of leadership, is about making decisions and being accountable. I've I've termed this the lonely road of leadership. Is it a lonely road, or is it a, is it as lonely as you make it? Like the, the second piece is, is it as lonely as you make it? And I think that, you know, thinking about it now, I think you're right. Because when I reflected on this, was, you know, is it question mark, question mark? And yes, you're ultimately accountable. And, you know, there's been um, situations in my career where I've delegated work, but I've ended up um, being ultimately accountable for, for stuff. And yes, you've got to make some tough decisions, right? As the leader of an organization or part of an organization, at times you've got to differentiate. You know, you've got to, you know, you've got some choices and sometimes you'll have to differentiate or make a decision that, you know, <clears throat> whilst the, I think it was Abraham Lincoln, was it? You can please some of the people some of the time, but you can't please all of the people all of the time. Often in leadership roles, you've got to make a choice. And yes, you could be, you could say that that puts you in a, um, a different space it sort of steps you a sort of away from your team or away from um, other parts of the organization but to your point or to your uh, I think rhetorical question is yeah it's as lonely as you want to make it yes you need to recognize that but there are ways you can moderate or mitigate that explain you know you don't don't just be perfunctory in your decision making process. I've listened to you. I've you know heard it. I've weighed it up. I've got the facts, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Here we're going to go down this road. It may be a different road, but we're going to go down this road for these reasons. Context change, priorities have changed, whatever. So I, th- I think it is um, in roles as you come through. I think your your comment is um, you can you can make it lonely or you can be more collegial or supportive because the CEO role is especially in. Um, publicly listed companies is is probably a, a lonely role it's a sandwich role you know, you've got you're leading the organization but you've got the board and you've got you know you've probably got conflicting priorities especially if it's a, a commercial listed company and you're on the quarterly results treadmill or the, the share price treadmill could be fairly lonely i still remember going and talking to someone about an issue and he made the point you know that the higher you go up, the higher you climb the tree, the narrower the tree gets at the top. Um, and so, yeah, you, your your collegiate group changes. Um, it may get smaller, it may get tighter, but um, yeah, I think you can, even though you're ultimately accountable for for, for your part of the organisation, and at times you've got to make some some tough choices. I think you can still engage with your team or teams because remember, as a leader of a team, especially as you're going up through an organisation, as a leader of a team, you, that's not the only team you're a member of. So, you know, if you're a, a what we would call a leading other, you've probably got a range of peers that you form that a team that reports to your your boss. If you're on the executive team, you know, and <clears throat> I was doing some work with a little little um, maintenance company that sort of supports uh, uh, mining organizations and I said to one of them so which team are you part of are you part of the team you lead or this team the executive team oh the team I lead really you really need to again this is a, um, another piece of, of part of the leadership pipeline theory I guess is if you're a functional leader or an executive leader you're the, you, you're part of the broad business management team and you've got to take that role effectively you know be across the other across the performance of the business and make a contribution to that broader business and take the business forward so you know your predominant team should be that exec team but then you're leading another team where you've got to make sure that they go forward as well and they're cohesive etc now whether you're one one takes priority over the other 
up for debate. But, you know, this concept of multiple team membership. So you might be making some tough decisions in your part of the world or in front of your team, but you also have a peer team that you're, um, you're part of being the exec team or whatever it is. I like the discussion there around the the multiple teams that you're in. And when you think about it, yeah, in, in some organizations, you will be part of multiple teams and others you won't, or there'll be some hybrid combination of those mm. things. And yeah, nav- navigating that. Yeah. I, I guess, yeah, I, I can't, I can't disagree. And, and yeah, I, I what I w- will um, very strongly agree with you with is that the higher up you climb, I guess the narrower that pathway is. And really ultimately when you get to roles like, CEO, executive director, or chair of a board. Yes, you've got a team with you, but sometimes the decision-making is going to be yours and that can have all sorts of consequences for you as an individual. But I think you can make the decision-making process a lot easier if you've got processes and and systems in place to help you make informed decisions. Now, that's not going to happen all the time. And I'm, I'm not for one second naive enough to think that there are some decisions that need to be made quickly and you're not going to have the luxury of a group meeting to weigh up the pros and cons you're going to have to use i don't call it a gut call i I, I call it more an informed decision based on your experience in the business and those calls get made every day some are more pressing than others let me segue to the next section if i can this stems from the conversations we've had to this point is measuring success now i've prefaced this in other podcasts and I'll, i'll do this with you as well that I can understand where people will say, well, the KPIs are this, that, and the other, but I'm talking about measuring success beyond KPIs. And do you measure success that way, or is it strictly about your KPIs in a role, Alan? Are we talking about measuring success of the unit you lead, or are we talking about measuring how you would rate yourself as a successful or otherwise leader? At that level, yes. So I don't think in that case it's really KPIs. I think it's uh, it's more heuristic. It's more um, subjective in a lot of ways. And for me, I guess it's it's an understanding of how, and I, I'm reflecting on, on the last team I, I led within Ludo ECFL Smith. You know, it, it's, it's about the mutual respect inside the team and the sense of respect you feel that they have for you and you have for them. And, and in some ways, for me, this is something I had sort of hadn't popped into my head until now. And I've always taken the view that I've tried to make myself redundant and been fairly successful at that on a couple of occasions, actually. But anyway, um, <laughs> in a broader sense, I've always tried to develop the teams that I've I've led to a point where they don't necessarily need me to be there to, to be effective and tried to, to help people develop their careers so that they could go forward. And you know, from that perspective, I think I've had moderate success not always and we always learn you know there's been situations over my career where something's happened that I've taken a significant learning from you know, a negative maybe a negative event a negative consequence to me or or other things that I've, I've you know reflected on and um and 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 hopefully learned from but I think it comes down to the the subjective sense of the respect I have for my team and hopefully the respect they have for me as a colleague and as a leader when I think back to that that Ethel Smith Ludoisi team, we were a regional HR meeting here here in Australia. So re- regional being Ethel Smith's uh, international company. So we had people from Indonesia, China, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And they, I'd, I'd been part of a, a broader HR meeting some months before, and we'd run this particular exercise. So I sat out when they were doing that exercise in this regional meeting. I sat out, and when I came back in, they said, you know, one of the things that my my team had said is they enjoyed working in a team with myself because I, you know, the things they said was. You know, 
you tell us where, where we've got to go. You, you 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 give us feedback individually as a group, and you give us opportunity. There's you know you play to our strengths essentially, and you give us opportunities to do different things. And and I walked away from that feeling feeling re- really gratified. You know, you don't often get that level of um, specific feedback, and it was it came as the nature of um, nature of the exercise they were doing. And, and and for me, that was more how I would measure the success of, of my leadership and um, my participation with them as a colleague. Thank you for sharing that. I guess the ultimate test for how effective you are is when you can get that kind of feedback from those that you lead. They, they have purpose, they have some meaning to what they're doing, and they've had opportunities to do something else with their career. Now, again, assuming that everyone that goes to work wants all of those things in some combination, because I, I have met people People in my life, very interesting, very clever people that look at work as just a means to make an income and they don't want anything else out of the work experience other than they want a secure job. They'll do that to the best of their ability. Then they go home and they switch off completely. And I envy the people with that mindset because I wish I could do that. But sometimes I find it's difficult to switch off the the gray matter at some points in time. I think it's the nature of me rather than the nature of people. Alan, let me ask you, I might switch the order of the last two topics here because I want to get your sense of emerging leadership issues. Now, again, in our previous conversations with the Best Practice Network, I had a few inklings to what I think you you may go with this, but I'm hoping you, you throw a few ones that I haven't that I haven't identified because I, I have a I have my own views on what I think are emerging leadership issues. But again, going back to the premise of the podcast, it's about you, my friend. So emerging leadership issues, what do you think they are? I'll go back to what I said. Some of the things I said before is that individuals and organisations, their basic needs haven't really changed. Um, the context has changed. That you know, we can't. If you go and look at TV from 50 years ago, comedy back then, or some of some even some of the shows back then, and I was from New Zealand, so I didn't didn't know know about Number 69 or whatever it was. Um, you know, those things wouldn't. Well, I was going to say those things wouldn't necessarily fly. But there's a thing on TV now called Love Island Australia that just stuns me in this in this this time of me too so the context has changed so for me you know it, it's the speed of change and being able to deal with that it's the social connectedness that we've got and the and the impact technology is having so you know there's, there's a couple of things there there's technology is changing so the way we we interface with that te- technology in, a, in an organizational sense or otherwise and harness that to, to, um, to take us forward is, is one thing I think think leaders need to understand and 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 work with because there's there's probably great opportunity there but there's also probably a bit of risk because of this level of connectedness go back to some people just can walk away from work um, and switch off well in in the level of connectedness today that's that's very difficult and then you know if you don't turn the notifications off on your phone they'll bing through the night so there's those things and you know what's on your your um your facebook profile or your your comments back when they're going to haunt you for the rest of your life so and this thing about you know I've got so many so many friends on Facebook. Well, they're not really your friends. So there's all of that. I think that that's going to impact in how leaders leaders work with their people about about what the understanding is around that and where the issues are and where you know, where, where where work needs to stop and and private life. But how your private life impacts. You know, we had and I've I've been in a, in an organisational role for for three or four years now, but. You know, we terminated people for for comments they made on Facebook because they yeah, 
there we this you know it was a male-dominated organization guys welding you know spannering moving heavy stuff around and they were bullying each other on Facebook. and because we had screenshots and that was unacceptable and someone had you know hadn't behaved appropriately in the workplace in the past and had had a track record that was a final straw we, we terminated based on a, on a facebook post so there are the implications of those and that, that you know that's the real pointy end of it and then there's this going back to to you know number 96 or whatever it was wouldn't be acceptable on tv now unless you're buying it, um, downloading it through the internet, maybe. But this concept of diversity, focus on well-being, green versus our current government not not taking on um, uh, climate change targets, etc. All of those sorts of things are issues that we didn't have in the past. So that I think they're going to, they're going to um, impact organisations more and more. So gender diversity, ethnic diversity, political correctness, and and it's not just, and, and I, I say that not from a negative perspective, but from a realistic perspective. Sexual orientation, religious orientation, all of those things, they're more prevalent and prominent and create a different different environment that we've got to work through. So people have got to be, and I don't want to say careful, but that's really at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. Looking back on your leadership pathway, so if I was to put the following to you, what would Alan say to a younger version of yourself about being a more effective leader? Reflecting back on, you know, sort of key key lessons, uh, key comments, et cetera, that I've received in the past. And look, I, I think it's about probably being a little bit more open. I'm an INTJ on the Myers-Briggs. So, you know, it's a case of um, probably being more empathetic, you know, listening a bit harder. Yeah, there's been times where i've i've taken i've taken exceptions to things and made that known or um and it's probably i'd say keep doing that but probably try and understand the unfortunate thing is probably understand the politics a little bit more (laughs) um but yeah be be a bit more open listen a bit harder be a bit more empathetic but still you, you still need to be able to make some of the harder decisions on occasion and the other well the harder decisions would be make some of those harder decisions. Alan, thank you for your time. Uh, before we do go and, and I sign out uh, for today's session, which has been mate, it's been a pleasure speaking with you on this again. I'd like you to, if you can, give us a bit of a plug as to what you're doing at the moment and let people know how they might be able to get in touch with you, mate. Oh, thank you. So the Leadership Pipeline Institute is a is a leadership development organisation here in Australia, well, through, around the world, and I represent them in Australia and from my perspective that having seen it operate in an organisation as well as provide services through LPI, it is one of the most effective and transferable leadership programs um, I've, I've seen and you know, I actually look to represent them in Australia, seeing how effective they were. So that's the LPI side. Arthingworth is a, is my, my little consulting company and I do leadership development, um, executive coaching, HR consulting, general organisation consulting across a range of sectors, um, you know, calling on my 30 plus years in, a, in HR, but also in, in senior leadership roles. And you can get to me um, via simply, I don't, I don't run a website, um, you can get to me through the LPI website, which is the lp-institute.com or um, my email address, which is alanmunts01 at gmail.com. Excellent. So thank you for joining me. For those listening, I've been speaking with Alan Munts. Alan, thanks again. Right away. Thanks for having me, Eric. It's been enjoyable. And yes, we could have spoken for us. Thank you for joining us. And we'll catch you all on the next podcast.